Happy Friday. I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy, and this is Important Not Important, the most important science news, how to think about it, and what you can do about it. You can find the digital version and links to everything at importantnotimportant.com slash newsletter or right from your show notes. It's Friday, April 30th. Apparently, both GDP and humidity are back, which means today's newsletter is coming to you through the extra t-shirt I have stashed in my office. Please extend a very warm welcome to the 2,124 new shit givers who've joined us since last week. Awesome. All right, in brief, AI is going backwards, carbon offsets are a mirage, falling birth rates and COVID, the end of malaria, and Jordan's out of water. The future is stuck in the past. The old school hunt and peck systems we built in the 20th century marginalized millions of people based on skin color. So the last thing we need is automated systems to do the whole thing faster and more efficiently in the 21st. And yet, we've already built them. When diagnosing a systemic issue like racism, it's important to get down to brass tacks. The issues don't start with the police or housing or prisons, medical school, smoking, food, banking, delivery rooms, hiring, green space, movies, public schools, public transportation, or artificial intelligence. Those things aren't broken. We chose for them to happen. They're just the inevitable secondary effects of an artificial caste system so comprehensively designed and implemented over two and a half centuries that Hitler's fanboys were like, yikes. Everywhere we look, we're training futuristic new algorithms to judge black people unfairly as if we needed the help. Anywhere you look, black people have been portrayed as criminals, even and especially on the big screen. A quote from our friend Franklin Leonard, is it surprising then that the casual murders of black people, both those captured on smartphones and the many, many more that preceded the smartphone era, are predicated on the perception of us as violent criminal threats? So riddle me this, how can we trust AI to replace radiologists when only 5% of doctors in America are black? When black moms are three to four times more likely to die from childbirth or COVID? Which of those stats screams, yes, we've got our shit figured out? Just as we cannot simply push forward, we cannot refuse to pay our debts. We cannot lecture other countries on human rights without bringing receipts. How are we supposed to lead on AI design and ethics when we can't even guarantee food, clean water, and clean air? When you can get a Whopper for $2, but not a salad? We have an enormous fucking opportunity to address each of these issues at the root cause. We have a choice to make, and I know it seems crazy, but we don't have to choose racism this time. Building a cleaner and more just society doesn't mean just hiring black people behind the camera, hiring black nurses, or planting more trees in hot redline city blocks. It means destroying the old systems that kept them out and enabling the inclusive design of amazing new frameworks that are beneficial, profitable, transparent, and equitable. It means doing better, better. All right, let's get into the news for this week in climate change and clean energy. Are carbon offsets the homeopathic medicine of climate change? Maybe. Okay, this one's a long time coming, and I promise you're going to hear more about it soon. A carbon offset is a theoretical reduction in emissions of CO2, or methane, etc., you can buy in order to make up for burning gases elsewhere with your lawnmower, your flight, your car, your business, your NFT, or say, your national economy. The issue is, they're mostly bullshit. And that's not great because the pure volume of net zero greenwashing coming from companies, industries, and governments relies heavily on offsets that are unproven, redundant, or already disproven. Or even better, net zero pledges are made usually by 2050 because why not? 
with very few real plans attached. Some existing credits and plans depend on protecting carbon-sucking forests. Forest offsets have been criticized for a variety of problems, including the risks that the carbon reductions will be short-lived, that carbon savings will be wiped out by increased logging elsewhere, and that the projects are preserving forests never in jeopardy of being chopped down, producing credits that don't reflect real-world changes in carbon levels. Here's what that means. So many of the growing pains society and the global economy are experiencing are due to a lack of standardized terminology, measurements, and transparency, whether we're talking about financial externalities, net zero, or offsets themselves. And now, already, some of the biggest offset sellers, like the Nature Conservancy, are looking inward, following a Bloomberg Green investigation last year that found the world's largest environmental group taking credit for preserving trees in no danger of destruction. Right now you're asking, yes, but we do want to protect those forests, right? And the answer is yes, but selling offsets to huge companies like JP Morgan and Disney and markets like the EU, offsets that protect already safe forests, doesn't actually reduce the amount of CO2 in the air. And in the worst case scenario, it just gives those companies more excuses, reasons, and time to keep burning because buying bullshit credits is a hell of a lot cheaper than cutting emissions. So here's your action step. I'm all for developing and scaling new carbon-sucking tech. I'm all for protecting existing forests and planting diverse new ones where appropriate, even though trees only store CO2 away for about a century. But we don't have the time or wiggle room to fuck this up. The Thrive Act, which you can learn more about in the link in the newsletter, is a fucking awesome chance for Congress to go big and put 15 million people to work cutting emissions in half in a huge boon for the planet and environmental justice. Use the sample script linked in the newsletter to call your reps and demand that they support it. Easy peasy. In COVID news, birth rates, baby making, and COVID. For some reason, economists thought maybe COVID lockdowns would lead to more babies being made and thus born. Oh, how they were wrong. And not just in my house. Going back a thousand years to 2019, the U.S. birth rate fell to its lowest level since Hands Across America in 1986 making it marginally more complicated going forward. Millions of Americans are refusing the vaccine, and COVID clearly affects pregnancies in a dangerous way. From Science Mag by way of JAMA Pediatrics, those with COVID-19 had a 76% greater chance of pregnancy-induced high blood pressure, known as preeclampsia or eclampsia. They were three times as likely to have a severe infection and five times as likely to be admitted to an intensive care unit. The U.S. has administered almost 250 million shots, which is incredible. And one day, COVID will become something manageable like the flu. But we're not there yet. Check out the bigger implications. If tens of millions of Americans in mostly red states refuse the vaccine, a greater share of pregnancies in those states remain in danger, birth rates decline disproportionately in those states, with fewer new births and less immigration, output and tax revenue and payments into Social Security decline, those states retain the same number of senators, but those senators represent even fewer people in coming generations. Senators who historically cut budgets for science funding fight against health care and Medicaid expansions and more public health services. So here's your action step. Set your politics aside and understand that everyone in this country and around the world deserves this vaccine. A huge portion of folks refusing it are evangelicals. If you've got some of those folks in your life, please reach out in a non-confrontational way and send them Christians and the Vaccine, a thoughtful and evidence-based COVID resource from Duke Divinity School. The link is in the newsletter. It's got all the questions and answers they need to protect themselves and all the rest of us too. In medicine and biotech, mosquitoes, 50 billion. Humans, like six. 
Hundreds of millions of folks are infected with malaria every year, and thousands of young kids die from it. While we've made enormous strides, a warming world means the areas where malaria-carrying mosquitoes can set up shop is growing. Fun. But a new vaccine might mean the tables have turned. From Vox, in a great explainer, as they do, in a recently concluded clinical trial conducted by researchers from Oxford and the clinical research unit of Nanaru, Burkina Faso, a new malaria vaccine called R21MM demonstrated 77% efficacy in children in Burkina Faso. That's a dramatic increase over the efficacy of the only current available malaria vaccine, RTSS, and might represent a huge breakthrough in the fight against the disease. Malaria has proven absurdly difficult to vaccinate against. It's caused by a parasite, not a bacterium or virus, and the parasite's functioning in the body includes suppressing the immune response. For many diseases, infections leave you immune for life, but it's possible to catch malaria over and over again. And for many diseases, a vaccine just involves exposing the body to a dead or attenuated version of the disease agent, but that doesn't really get results with malaria. So here's what that means. It means one of the most difficult vaccine challenges in history is damn close to saving hundreds of thousands of lives and improving childhood development. The vaccine may require three shots plus a booster, which, wow, that's a lot. But the current one, which kind of sucks, requires four. If there's anything I've learned from covering systemic science and societal issues, it's to celebrate the little victories while we keep pushing for more radical progress. Here's your action step. One of the most effective NGOs in the galaxy is the Against Malaria Foundation. A long-lasting insecticidal net costs just $2. That's ridiculous. So while we wait on stage three trials for the new vaccine, throw some cash at Saving Lives right now. Links in the newsletter. Hey, let's go deeper. Sometimes you come across one of our news items and think, I'd sure love to understand climate investing a lot better. Or, but Paddington 2 has always been the best film of all time. We get it. And that's why our critically acclaimed podcast is designed to complement the thing you're listening to right now. In long-form conversations that go deep on a single topic, you can learn the stories, tools, and favorite action steps of the world's smartest people, from scientists to congresswomen, farmers to CEOs, journalists to the clergy. That's right. So get smarter for free by clicking the link in the newsletter. In food and water news, what is this, Arrakis? In some ways, the climate crisis means more water, usually in the form of wetter rainstorms and hurricanes, rainy day flooding, and sea level rise. In many other ways, it means less, far, far less. Drought conditions are growing globally, and while developed economies like California can spend $1 billion in 20 years accumulating enough water savings for a year or two, many parts of the world cannot. From the LA Times, it is a disturbing measure of the parched land Jordan has become. The small kingdom has long ranked high on the list of water-poor countries. But a mix of a ballooning population, regional conflicts, chronic industrial and agricultural mismanagement, and now climate change may soon bring it another distinction, the first nation to possibly lose viable sources of fresh water. And Jordan's not alone. Much of the Middle East is in a similar boat, which really, considering the topic, might be the wrong metaphor, with temps projected to average 116 during the day soon. As oil reaches its nadir, as we electrify everything, as the world grows hotter, water and other precious earth resources will become the focal points of 21st century societies and economies. Your action step. Water for South Sudan is an incredibly impactful organization, drilling wells in remote villages to help communities survive. And keep going with the theme. Just $2 provides clean water to a person for an entire year. You can donate using the link in the newsletter. Okay, it's time for the roundup. 
Expand your perspective. Follow our awesome Women in AI Ethics Twitter list in one click. Scientists are trying to figure out how long a COVID vaccine actually lasts. What the hell is breadfruit and why is it so delicious and sustainable? The Senate passed the Drinking Water and Wastewater Infrastructure Act of 2021, which Ted Cruz voted against because Texans definitely don't need water. Right. Franklin Leonard, producer and CEO of The Blacklist, has partnered with the Redford Center to award $10,000 to each of three screenwriters for a feature screenplay or pilot with significant climate crisis and or climate solution themes. That's awesome. And finally, our podcast guests in the news, Raja Deer and Seed Health raised a cool 40 mil for gut health. All right, that's it for this week. To go deeper on any of the news or to find your action steps, go to importantnotimportant.com slash newsletter. Thank you so much as always for being a part of our community and thanks for giving a shit. Have a great weekend.